You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 60, Doctor Who and Captain Marvel on the Big Screen. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Dandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 60 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Brian. And so today, we've got uh, three new trailers that have popped up. we got a little bit of television news, something that uh, has just been announced. We have uh, some movie news, some things that have just been greenlit. I've got some old-school Doctor Who review, some new-school superhero Captain Marvel review, and, of course, we're going to talk about The Walking Dead last week's episode and a little bit of the week before. But before we get to that, I did want to spend a moment to, uh, in a memorial, uh, last Saturday we lost uh, Johnny Thompson. Now, for those of you who may not be magic nerds, Johnny Thompson was... It's almost impossible to say just how important he was in the world of magic. He was the guy that you went to... If you were trying to come up, I mean, the best high, big name magicians in the world, whenever they were doing some sort of TV special or they're doing a new stage show, they never have to worry about method. They would just try to figure out what would be the coolest thing they could possibly do on stage. And then you'd go to Johnny Thompson, and not only would he be able to tell you how you could do it, he could off at the top of his head come up with six different ways of doing it. There was a reason why in the first couple of seasons of Mind Freak, that Chris Angel called Johnny Thompson to come in as a consultant. And there's a reason why Penn & Teller basically used him as a consultant for years and years. In fact, most of the magic you see Penn & Teller do was groomed and vetted by Johnny Thompson. In fact, what had happened was, it was back in late February, he was on the set of Fool Us, where he was a consulting producer for the show. And he collapsed and they took him to the hospital and 12 days later he passed away mm. as i said if you're not a big fan of magic you may not know the name johnny thompson but i can guarantee you if you have a favorite magician that you love to watch if you ask them who johnny thompson is they'll be able to tell you he was a bridge from old school to new school magic he knew everybody he had been in magic for decades. He had met the greats. He had taught many great magicians. And losing him is an equivalent of the Library of Alexandria burning down. We have lost an amazing resource. And I wanted to bring it up on the Geek Watch podcast because although some parts of the geek world have become mainstream and more people know about them, if you're a magic geek, you know painfully that some of our best and greatest are not known by very many people, but I wanted to mention that. I had the honor of learning Johnny Thompson. In fact, I have a signed picture of him here in the studio, and he is a great loss, and we're definitely going to miss him, and the world of magic will never be the same. Godspeed to Johnny Thompson. And so, let's go ahead and talk some trailer news, because we've got a few trailers that mm -hmm. popped out this week. The new Aladdin. we got the yes. new Aladdin trailer. So we saw more of the genie, mm -hmm. and doesn't look nearly as bad, or at least I think some people are not as upset with uh, mm -hmm. Big Blue Will Smith mm -hmm. as they were before. And we got a little bit of uh we got a little bit of the song. So yeah, well, yeah that was Well, exciting. you know, they're never you know, you never had a friend like me and mm -hmm. a whole new world. Obviously, you don't have that movie without those two songs. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if Will Smith has kind of Wild Wild West Men in Black put his own spin on it and maybe we will get a small like uh, rap vignette in the middle of Friend Like Me which I would be totally fine with but they're always adding and you know Aladdin became a uh, a live Broadway musical, and they added songs to it, so I would be completely fine if we had something like that. Well, definitely the part of the song that Will Smith did that was in the trailer seemed more like speak singing, so I think it was a mm -hmm. kind of a comedy. Speaking on pitch. And, mm -hmm. Speaking on pitch, so yep. I, I think that a lot of his rap skill is definitely going to come into it, and mm -hmm. certainly he's going to give his own spin on it. Something else they announced about Aladdin of course, is we now have an Iago, yeah. Alan Tudyk, which of course it was. Of course, yes. Be uh -huh. Because whenever Disney needs a bird with a voice, they mm -hmm. it's like, we got to have a bird voice. 
Of course you're going to call Alan, Alan, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if the bird doesn't talk, if it's a hey, hey, the, mm-hmm. the chicken from Moana, all he does is cluck, but bring in yep. Alan Tudyk. He can do oh, that. Yeah, and he was King Candy and Lord Wesselton and, uh, you know, so many. But uh, there have been a lot of haters on social media getting upset because they didn't bring back Gilbert Godfrey. And one of their arguments is, well, you brought back James Earl Jones for Mufasa. And then I was thinking, but they didn't bring back anyone else. He's just one. And, you know, I know how talented Alan Tudyk is. He's amazing. I loved Gilbert Godfrey as Iago. So I'm fine with him being, I would have been absolutely fine with them bringing Gilbert Godfrey back, but I'm absolutely fine with Alan Tudyk doing it as well, because I think they both have great talent and, and good merits, and it just, I'm excited either way. Well, you know, the thing was, of course, uh, Gilbert Godfrey, he kind of got pulled away from a bunch of things. Of course, he was doing the Affleck commercials, and then he made that joke about the, the Japanese... A tsunami? Maybe? A tsunami, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a the Japanese tsunami, mm-hmm. and he made a joke about it, and he got pulled off. Now, a lot of time has passed, but... Maybe they thought it's still maybe a little mm-hmm. too fresh, and they're mm-hmm. like, we don't want to risk that or or have people talking about that again, mm-hmm. especially in this world of internet non-forgiveness that maybe not they figured there hadn't been enough time passed. Mm-hmm. So they may have said, well, you know, let's be safe and, and just have you know Alan Tudyk do it, and certainly he'll do a good job of it. But, uh, I mean, it looks like uh, they're... Going down the right track with this, I suspect that uh, Aladdin's going to do really well in the mm-hmm. box office. And a lot of people who had issues with Big Blue Will Smith, it doesn't look like it's going to be that bad. Mm-mm. You know, I so. never, I, I was never worried. <laughs> well, sometimes you know we're so eager to tear a movie apart on the strength of one yeah. teaser trailer. So which far, is honestly, my only kind of nitpicky thing is uh, I don't think Jafar is menacing enough. You know, he has kind of this sweet voice, but then again, he also, he's supposed to be charming. So, I mean, they could have gone that route because he's supposed to be able to charm the Sultan and convince him to do things and the like. But I really enjoyed the casting of Jafar in the TV series Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite. But so that's just, again, a little nitpicky thing. Just a little deeper voice, I guess, when it comes to Jafar. But yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. But when the movie comes out, mm-hmm. we'll definitely see how uh, how well everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, the costumes are oh, gorgeous. We may, yeah, we may yeah. be up for another Oscar hopefully. You yes, know, for for Disney, Beautiful. and that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Another trailer came out and it caught me by surprise. This came out yesterday, and it I didn't know anything about this movie. Now I knew. Well, the name of the movie is Charlie Says, and I knew that there was a Charles Manson movie coming out that mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino was doing. And this is not that movie. Apparently, this one is going to come out before the, the Quentin Tarantino movie. It's a made-for-TV, isn't it? Uh, no, it's, it's a movie movie. Is it? Okay. All yeah, right. it's a movie huh. movie. And basically, the premise of it is an undergrad student goes into a prison years after the Manson family murders in the trial. And she's trying to basically rehabilitate uh, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van Houten, and Susan Atkins. So she's talking to them, and by talking to them, she's trying to find out what life was like on the ranch, what drove them to to follow Charles Manson and to commit these murders and, and possibly rehabilitate them. And so it's sort of her journey into the minds and into the lives of these women. Now, what surprised me was then you saw Charles Manson, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, does he look familiar? <laughs> Hence the reason I'm bringing it up on the Geek Watch podcast. I'm like, is that is that yeah, Matt Smith? That is Matt Smith. That was Matt Smith with a beard, and mm-hmm. I was gobsmacked. I mean, going from the Doctor to uh, Prince Albert, and now uh, to an evil, to an evil, Manson, yeah, 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 to that. And he, of course, he played Skynet, the evil AI, in the last uh, Terminator movie. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, spoilers for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, and he does a really, really good Charles Manson. His mm. sort of southern draw was spot on, mm. I have to say. And it shocked me, but definitely it's a film I want to check out. It, mm-hmm. If only this, to watch uh, Matt Smith's take on uh, Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. I've already gotten Thor's take on Charles Manson. There was a movie called uh, Bad Times in El Royale, and Chris mm-hmm. Hemsworth played this cult leader who was obviously a Charles Manson oh, type. Uh-huh. And Wow, he was very mm-hmm. convincing. I suppose that. the last one uh, I saw was last year's American Horror Story, uh-huh. where Evan Peters played 
all of the cult leaders. I mean, Jim Jones, Charlie Manson, David Koresh. I mean, he he played he portrayed them all, and he did just man. Because and he even played Andy Warhol, not a cult leader, but sort of having that sort of same mentality of drawing people into you and being that charismatic. But man, he did. Yeah, Evan Peters did such a good job. Uh, but, well, he always does mm-hmm. on American Horror Story. I haven't seen a season where he didn't do a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing Charlie Says. It's an IFC film. It's a smaller budget film, but mm-hmm. it looks like they shot the heck out of it. And like I said, seeing uh, Matt Smith dip into this role, which is one that, like I said, if you only know him from Doctor Who, this is not typical. <laughs> But it's really cool to see him getting involved in some different projects. In fact, I believe that he is going to be in the Morbius film. Oh, really? Yeah, the, okay. where Jared, Jared Le- Leto, the playing. Jared Leto film. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I had seen an interview with Karen Gillum, and Karen had had been kind of nudging Matt into doing a superhero movie. So mm-hmm. you really need to get involved in one of these projects, and obviously she would know. Yes. Uh-huh. So I guess this is what kind of brought him into that. But yeah, I definitely want to see his take on Charles Manson. And speaking of Marvel, we did get finally get that final trailer for Endgame. Yes. They're setting up a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are things that I'm wondering, because you talked about with the last Avengers movie trailers that they kind of change things on the trailer and put things in there that weren't in the movie yeah and like here's the spoiler alerts guys when i saw uh, tony stark in the uniform walking with the rest of them i'm like was he really there right you know and i hate feeling that way i'm like yay i want him to be alive and there with his team but i just keep thinking is he really well you know and a lot of people complained about that they're like look why are you showing us that we don't we thought he's out in space. I mean, mm-hmm. you've already given away that he's safe. And it's like, well, did sure? they? Did they? Yeah. Did they do that? Because, mm-hmm. again, it's like we talked about before, you know, in Infinity War, you get that shot of the Hulk. And, of course, the Hulk's not in the movie at all. So, mm-hmm. again, yeah, it's just like you said, that could very much just be a... Uh, Sub- subterfuge, is that a good yeah, word? Yeah. Subterfuge, yeah. Flat out, dirty, liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So that may not be, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time that the Russo brothers flat out swerved us. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, this trailer, you know, if you didn't see Captain Marvel, this is the first time we get to see her with the team and out of her uniform. Never yeah. seen her out of her uniform before now. So yeah. uh, that's really yeah, exciting. I, yeah. Well, you kind of see a little bit of it in the movie. And we are going to talk about the movie because we did see it. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly nice to kind of see a little bit of interaction. Apparently, Thor is rather impressed with her, so mm-hmm. it's okay. She seems like she's awesome. We'll take, you mm-hmm. know, we'll hang with her. So, but yeah, I'm, as if we need to get more excited for this film. I'm, I was waiting for that final trailer, but again, from what the Russo brothers have told us, that nothing from the trailers is going to be past the 15 minute mark in the movie. So they're saying, even the stuff that we've seen in the trailers now. That's within the first 15 minutes of the film. Hmm. And it's kind of weird because a lot of the scenes, the way things are developed, especially if we see Tony Stark in the walk-up, mm-hmm. they're going to get him taken care of in the first 15 Immediately, minutes? Immediately, yeah. I just don't... I don't think so either. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, so I, to be honest, the whole set with them in those... Um, the race car uniforms? Yeah. That's which, what I think they look like. Yeah. Some people are saying that there's a special uniform to protect them from... Mm-hmm. From radiation in the Made quant- out of vibranium, I'm hoping. Well, well, some people, they're thinking that the part of their solution of uh, dealing with the snapping is going to be in the quantum realm. And so mm-hmm. they're going to have to go back to the quantum realm. Of course, we were introduced to the quantum realm in the last Ant-Man movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And so they're going to have to go back into the quantum realm. And those, So those- we need Hank Pym technology. Right. Yeah, okay. And so that's, you know, mm. it's, it's similar to the armor that Hank Pym was wearing when he went into the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they're going to be doing. Part of the solution is going to be the Avengers going into the quantum realm, and that's why they have those uniforms. But yeah, the whole thing with Tony Stark, that could be a complete setup. Yes. He might not have been on yeah, set I'm, at all I'm, that. I'm very skeptical that that's really happening. Yeah, but... Uh, We'll have a little bit over a month, and then we'll definitely we'll, we, we'll know for sure. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit of TV news because this was announced the last uh, day or so. The Disney Plus Channel they're going to are developing an animated series based off of the What If comics. Now, for the geek watchers out there who might not remember the What If comics, these were alternate stories in the Marvel universe. 
whenever there was like a major event in a Marvel comic, sometimes they would put out a what-if comic about what would happen if something happened a different way. Mm. For example, there was a comic, um, like the first issue of Spider-Man. Spider-Man 1, he'd already gotten his powers because his origin story was an Amazing Fantasy number 15. They first came out with uh, Spider-Man comics. The first Spider-Man comic, he tries to join the Fantastic Four. He gets turned down. Hmm. But there's a comic, basically, what would have happened if Spider-Man had joined the the Fantastic Four. And, of course, along with that one, there was another Spider-Man would happen if Spider-Man had managed to save Gwen Stacy. Uh But there were a lot of these what-if comics, you know. Mm -hmm. And they covered a lot of different things like Wolverine. You know, what would have happened if he had been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or if he did, was the Lord of Vampires, if he was a vampire, what would that have well, been? Well, because there was an epi- there was an issue of the X Men where the X Men fought Dracula, uh-huh. and Dracula was trying to turn Storm into a vampire. Wow! And so in this comic, it was you know what if the X Men defeated Dracula, but Wolverine became a vampire, and because Dracula was dead, he became the Lord of the Vampires. Huh. So basically what they've decided is they want to do an animated series based off of these what-if comics. And Kevin Feige is going to be managing those. He's going to be going through and uh, vetting the stories for these series. The nice thing about it is he doesn't have to worry about continuity with the movie <laughs> universe. Because these are not these are basically things that are different. And definitely there's some things. Kind of in, like published fan fiction. <laughs> in a real, it's real sense. They're doing their own fan fiction in a real sense. And there could be some interesting things from the movies. What if something in in the movie happened a different way? Mm -hmm. Bunches of of different, you know, what if Spider-Man had refused Tony Stark's offer to go to Germany? You could do an animated thing on that or, you know, other things that may have happened in the Marvel Universe in the movies that what if something had happened a different way? Mm -hmm. What if Ultron had won? What would have happened if New York had fallen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the evasion. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do just out of the movies of sort of different setups, you know. Mm-hmm. Going back to Captain Marvel, what if her friend had been the one to fly the pilot, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, she would have ended up taking care of her daughter for her. You know, Carol would have ended up taking care of her daughter. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of different things they could have done with that they can do with this setup and i'm definitely interested to see what they uh, eventually decide to do so we do have a little uh, a little bit of movie news that came out some movies have been greenlit the first one that uh, was reported is peter straub and, and stephen king's talisman Ooh, is uh-huh. finally coming to the big screen okay i haven't read that one but uh, i've heard of it well i've off and on for a bunch of years uh steven spielberg bought the rights in perpetuity to that book Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to make that, he wanted to make that movie, and you know he was attached to direct it at some point, and then you know then he was just going to produce it. They were going to get somebody else to direct it. I think he's back to directing it at this point. Wow, uh, Amblin Entertainment is going to be putting it out. Oh, and to all the newspapers and websites that that called this Stephen King's talisman and didn't mention Peter Straub, mm-hmm. do your work, guys. Mm-hmm. It, but, well, you know, I'm I'm just as guilty with good omens, and I realized uh, last night during Dungeons and Dragons when they asked me if I knew who Terry Pratchett was, and I was like, oh crap, you know, I spend all this time uh, talking about good omens and uh, Neil Gaiman, and I hardly ever mention Terry Pratt because I'm like, you know, Neil Gaiman, he's uh, Neil he's he, he's doing American Gods, he's doing good omens, he's doing this, he's doing Lucifer, he's doing that, and I never bring up Terry Pratchett because you know I'm just as bad. <laughs> yeah, well, Terry. Pratchett, uh, his work is amazing, and if you've not had a chance to read his books, I mean, he takes fantasy and just turns it on its head, and of course, that was the reason why Neil Gaiman was excited and also scared and terrified (laughs) (laughs) to work with Terry Pratchett, because Mm -hmm. this was a guy who brought his any game. But yeah, I mean, The Talisman, seeing that finally come come to the big screen is going to be amazing. It's It's an amazing story. It really plays on the strengths of both Peter Straub and Stephen King. And I can't wait. Uh, something else that got greenlit that I just found out about today is apparently they're going to be doing a Night of the Comet remake. If you guys remember really? that. Old. Oh, I love Night of the Comet. That's Yes, be- I, I cosplay Reggie from Night of the Comet. Oh, do you? I do, yes. Uh-huh. So they really wanted to bring that back. One of the things that, that uh, I saw in the article is they really like the girl buddy mm-hmm. aspect of it, you know, that. That the women are basically the leads in this, and they right. said it's going to be great to kind mm-hmm. of bring that 
back. Yeah, and- but they're the they're the BAs. They're the but they well in the original they're very Valley girls. But you know then everyone turns into uh, flesh eating creatures and then you know they strap on guns and they have no problem using them right (laughs) there's no learning curve just plop them on and and go and and some people don't that movie may be a little old for for some people to remember but keep in mind too if you didn't have night of the comet you would not have had buffy the vampire slayer because look look it up guys it's it's uh if you haven't watched it yeah look it up it's great yeah definitely and one last bit of movie news Endgame's going to be the end of Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then there's not been a whole lot of information coming out about Phase 4, or what we can mm-hmm. expect. Mm-hmm. We're going to see more Spider-Man, obviously. We're going to be seeing Black Panther 2. We're going to see Doc Strange 2. There has been some rumors that we might be getting a Submariner film. Mm-hmm. I mean, We're still I, hoping for the R-rated Black Widow, so... Yeah, you know, I, I would suspect we, definitely, we will see that mm-hmm. eventually... Certainly we will. And of course, with the success that Aquaman, obviously they're going to want to dip into that pool. No pun intended. Uh I'm lying, of course, all puns intended. But one thing that we definitely have more information on, it does look like they are going to be coming out with a a Shang-Chi movie, which is uh, Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. They've announced uh, Destin Daniel uh, Cretton is the director. And he'll be joining uh, Dave Callahan, who's going to be writing the script. And that, when I heard Dave Callahan was writing, that really excited me. Because he's a screenwriter for Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. He also wrote the script for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was my arguably my favorite superhero movie of last year. <laughs> and so I'm really interested to see what they do with this. And the one thing that they definitely mentioned is very much like... Black Panther, where they had a lot of people of color in front of and behind the cameras, that there's going to be a lot of Asians working in front and behind the camera as well. They wanted to bring a lot of that type of voice into this movie. They mm-hmm. wanted in the same way that they did with Black Panther. And so I'm definitely going to be interested in seeing this movie when it comes out. We don't have a release date for it yet, but especially with it being a Marvel movie and this is a character that we haven't seen a lot of except in the comics, which would be a risk for just about anybody else, but Marvel of course now has that cachet that, you know, you can put the Marvel logo up and they'll say, "Well, let's go see it." So right. <laughs> and I think this is going to be the answer to the Iron Fist TV show that used to be on Netflix that didn't do quite as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to be the movie's answer to that. And uh, when it comes out, we'll definitely have something to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of movies, yesterday, Wednesday, I got a chance to see Tom Baker's last episode of Doctor Who on the big screen. Legopolis. Legopolis. Yes. They were showing that because the BBC was promoting Tom Baker's last season of Doctor Who, which they've remastered and added and uh, improved on the special effects of, of the uh, of the episodes and, and put them on Blu-ray. Oh, so, wow. Uh-huh. And... I know they did that with the first season. I know they've done that with the last season. And so they, what they've been doing is they've been going over and remastering these episodes. And to promote it, of course, they went and showed Legopolis. And I remember Legopolis from, like I said, my, my teenage years. Uh-huh. Because I you know, was watching Doctor Who on PBS in junior uh-huh. high and high school. And, you know, that's where I first got into Doctor Who. And, of course... Like a lot of fandom back then, I didn't have a lot of people who were watching it with me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really talk about it a lot at school because I knew what grief I would take. It's like, oh, you're wa- you're watching this show with the cheap rubber monsters on that shows up on the same channel as Sesame Street? Is that what you're doing? But one thing about Legopolis, of course, for me, everybody talks about their doctor. And for me, of course, that doctor mm-hmm. was Tom Baker. And I remember... What they would do is they would show an episode of Doctor Who every day, like five days a week on, mm-hmm. on PBS. And I would catch it right after I got home from school. And I remember, of course, when they would run out of episodes of the current season, they would go back. And so I'd seen some of Doctor Who, and they went back to Robot, which was the first Tom Baker episode. Mm-hmm. And they decided to kind of run through it again while they're waiting for new episodes to be made. And so, of course, I see John Pertwee lying on the floor, and he changes into... Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck is this? Because I didn't know anything about regeneration right, at yeah. that point. In fact, I actually have a scar on my leg that I call my Doctor Who scar. I got it on the same day I first saw Robot and learned about that the Doctor regenerates. Hmm. And it kind of bothered me a little bit. I'm like, other people are playing this character? I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, 
Because, yeah, America didn't get it until Tom Baker. So, at that yeah. point, no one knew about William Hartnell or... Exactly. Yeah. We didn't know. I, I Well, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't know anything about it. So, I was like, that's... I didn't know how I felt about it. But I'm like, well, that, that doesn't matter. I mean, I got Tom Baker episodes. And, mm-hmm. of course, it wasn't until Legopolis that I really understood why subconsciously it bothered me. Because if Tom Baker wasn't the first to play it, he's probably not going to be the right. last to play it. Uh-huh. And here's the other thing, too. And this is going to be, uh, for our millennial geek watchers out there, this may be a shock to hear this, but we didn't always have the internet. What? It's true. <laughs> we didn't have internet. We didn't necessarily have fanzines, or I, I certainly didn't, that had anything to do with Doctor Who. There wasn't a whole lot of information. So here's the thing. And sorry, this is if you've not seen Legopolis, this is going to be a spoiler. Because Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, dies at the end by falling off a radio telescope. Mm-hmm. You see, here's the thing. I had no idea that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. No internet, no spoilers. There was no... no so I had no clue. Mm-hmm. And when he falls off, I'm like, wait, wait he's going to die? Mm-hmm. I knew that, of course, he was going to change into another character because I realized he did that. I mean, we had seven years of Tom Baker at that point. Mm -hmm. So the very thought that he might not do this forever had never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Of course, when he dies and and changes into Peter Davison, it was a shock to me. Right. I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep watching the show. (laughs) Because, you know, Tom Baker was my guy. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but, you know, I did give Peter Davison a chance. And even though he unraveled that damn scarf... Mm-hmm. And it broke my heart. I'm like, what are you doing? Don't destroy the oh, scarf. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it felt the same way to people who had just got onto Doctor Who with Matt Smith and oh, yeah. took off mm-hmm. the bow tie. Now, with Legopolis, I found the novelization in a used bookstore. And I got uh, like a pack of three, uh, mm-hmm. they're, and they're really skinny. And I hadn't seen the episode, but I read the book. And so like I was pronouncing, uh, you know, when I finally did see it, and I found out I was pronouncing names wrong. Like I was saying Adric instead of Adric. And right. All these different, I think, just said Tegan instead of Tegan. But when you read something and you have an idea in your head about how something should look, and then you see it on screen, and it, that can be disappointing, you know, well, <laughs> obviously. Spe- and like, yeah, especially does- with especially with the budget that they have. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. And like the, I always talked about uh, with Doctor Who is if they did a historical... They looked fantastic because the BBC had those costumes and they had those sets because they did masterpiece theater right. and classic literature and all kinds and Shakespeare and all kinds of stuff. They were constantly doing that. But if you did a sci-fi, a futuristic, it was it tended to look a little more cheap. It tended to you know because they just didn't have the budget to make something and then never use it again. And even still nowadays, if you watch BBC, if you watch Sherlock, if you watch all these different you know Doctor Who's, you see the same sets you see the same costumes mm-hmm. all over the place uh, Downton Abbey and uh, Doctor Who have shared many costumes so that's not new and and the same thing back then is they just didn't have the budget for right. something cool like A- that and that's one thing about the remastering and getting to see the remastered episode on the big screen is because of the fact now they have a little bit of money they can go back and they can touch up the effects Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of places where you the effects blew me away, like when the TARDIS winds up shrinking mm-hmm. because the master screwed up the block transfer computations. Right. It looks a lot better because mm-hmm. they've got better editing. And and it doesn't cost any, like it did. You know, you, now you got a few clicks of a mouse. Back then you had to layer film and right. t- it's smoke and mirrors, a bunch of right. smoke and mirrors, all practical effects back then. They oh, right. just weren't and, ready. And of course, when the watcher pulls the TARDIS out of time and space to get uh, Adric and Nyssa out of the way, that effect looks a heck of a lot better. Mm-hmm. It's not just a reversed uh, a reverse image and shrink the picture and then grow it again. They right. they put a lot of effects in it. Way to go. And the effect where they're looking at the entire universe through the the screen, they of course completely changed that. So you mm, can I mean mm-hmm. it looks like the universe. Oh, it's wow. not like just a star field and when the universe starts collapsing, you don't see like a black shadow kind of passing over these white stars. You see a vortex sucking in planets. I mean, mm-hmm. they yeah, they were able to put in a lot of stuff. Now, one of the updates they did that I that I wasn't expecting was kind of shocked about was, of course, when Tom Baker falls off of the radio telescope. And of course, what they did was instead of using the model 
they shot pictures of the real telescope, which they couldn't do back then because they couldn't afford the time. And of course, they didn't have access to drones like you do now, camera drones. And so you see a lot of the actual telescope in, in Tom Baker's, when Tom Baker's hanging off of off the telescope, you can see the actual telescope. They're not using the models. Hmm. But there was that scene where he falls and you just cut to... Are, laying on the ground. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you have Nissa, Tegan, and Adric just kind of follow his fall. Well, now that you've got effects, they actually show him kind of falling off of it. Aww. You don't see him hit the ground, mm-hmm. but you see him plummeting to the ground. Wow. And I didn't expect that. <laughs> I was like, no, that was even worse. <laughs> I didn't want to necessarily see it. But that's one thing I found really fascinating about these remasters is very much like the Star Trek remasters where they went in with uh, uh, modern special effects and CGI was able not only to clean things up, but to make them look mm-hmm. better. I, probably the most drastic, I would say, of the... Uh, remasters that I've seen was it was a Peter Davison episode called Kenda where they had this there was this giant snake Mm, and of course it mm -hmm. was a puppet and it looked cheesy as all get out but they replaced it with a CGI snake that was Mm. scary as all get out it's Mm -hmm. terrifying (laughs) it's as terrifying as you can imagine a giant snake to be and uh, which let's face it a big puppet snake is definitely not going to have that kind of a menace but when you see it side by side yeah the CGI snake is frightening as all get out Mm. But it was really enjoyable to see, to, again, to revisit a part of my childhood, but to do it in a theater full of people who were major into Doctor Who as well. And I enjoyed the heck out of it, and it was a lot of fun, for sure. Now, since we're talking movie reviews, let's talk Captain Marvel. Yeah! We both saw it, yes. so what mm-hmm. did you think? I loved it. I really did. Like, when I look at my favorites of uh, the of the Marvel pantheon, you know, well, of course, I think... Black Panther is the best, but my favorite is Thor Ragnarok. I love the banter. I love the dialogue. I put Captain Marvel there with that great witty, bantery dialogue, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the way they spoke to each other, and that I really dug that. I was excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard some reviewers said that they had issues with her personality, said that she was kind of staid and stiff and that sort of thing, but I looked at it this way. She is a soldier in a special forces unit of Nova Corps, she acted like a soldier, mm-hmm. I li- and that did bother me. I liked it. I yeah. liked her kind of muted, but not for the same reason. I liked it because everyone around her was this huge caricature. Everyone. I mean, right. in- including Nick Fury, all the aliens. Everyone around her is just these huge, massive, and she's our straight man. She's our straight man. She's doing her job, and I enjoyed that about it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not going to take too long on this, although I... Th- thought about spending 10 to 15 minutes ranting about this. Now that I've thought about it, I don't think it's that necessary to spend this much time on it. But I do have to say, I've had a problem for a while with a lot of movie reviewers, especially the ones that you see on YouTube. And I think, especially with Captain Marvel, you see this, it's more egregious in this situation, just because you have a lot of stuff going on outside the movie. On people who are are wanting to say really nasty things about this movie and people who want to say really good things about this movie. And and like I said, I don't want to go on a huge rant about this, although at one time I really wanted to. <laughs> but it's okay for anybody to go up on any platform and speak their piece of how they feel about a movie. Whether you liked it or hate it, you know, feel free to do that. I'm not saying that no one has the right to do that. And with uh, the with modern technology, it's easy for people to do that. I'm taking advantage of it myself, obviously. So, But if you're going to call yourself a reviewer, if you're going to say you're going to review movies, you have to talk about the movie. You can't talk about the stuff outside the movie. Because Brie Larson might have said something about white guys that you don't like. Or she, you thought she said something about white guys that you don't like. That should have zero influence on how you rate the movie. The movie is the movie. And the fact that there was so much outside noise surrounding this film, it made, like I said, a lot of these reviews more egregious than they normally are. You know, people, because of something that happened outside, whether they didn't like Brie Larson, they didn't like the cut of her jib, or they thought that because this was the first Marvel movie that had a woman lead, that this was the most important Marvel movie that ever came out. Either way, people were taking what they felt about this movie and then reverse engineering some stuff inside the movie to justify their feelings, and a lot of it just flat out didn't wash. Mm -hmm. 
I just kind of feel like if you're going to be a movie reviewer, you should definitely know how movies work, how acting works. And if you're going to take the time to discuss the acting ability of a Oscar-winning actor and the choices that she made in a role, you kind of need to know a little bit about acting. <laughs> so I will say this as far as the movie. I, some people say that this movie is review-proof because you can't review this movie without upsetting some people. And I'll say there's some th things about the movie that I really, really liked. I loved Brie Larson's characterization. I didn't have a problem with mm -hmm. it. I liked pretty much all the the characterizations. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll go a little bit in spoilers. not Maybe not too much, but I really liked what they did with the scrolls mm -hmm. Because they took, a, they took a race that's basically in the comics, sort of a two-dimensional villain. Mm -hmm. And they gave these characters depth. Oh, well, yeah. And it was very Alien Nation, you know, yeah. very callback to Alien Nation. And, yeah. I, and I will admit that when they got to the space lab, I did cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cried in the theater. This movie made me care about scrolls. Mm -hmm. Okay. It made me care about scrolls. And I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> but again, you know, in the comics, very two dimensional. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, they meant more. And there was a lot of great stuff going on. Now, did I like everything in the film? No. I think some of the, the cinematography fell short. I think mm -hmm. uh, I would have loved to have seen fight scenes that were maybe a little more brightly lit. These dim corridors make it very difficult. Mm -hmm. And especially if you were watching it in 3D, which fortunately for me, I, I wasn't. But I did. Yeah, that was the one that was available. So I did see it in 3D. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you, the, the fight scenes would have looked a little bit muddy and kind of hard to track um, down. I was okay with it, but I'm not sure maybe if I had seen it in 2D first and then gone to it but i was okay with it but yeah well you know that that was the uh, a real problem that uh, the first thor movie had in 3d was because you don't have a lot of high color high contrast mm -hmm. sometimes that makes things look a little bit muddy especially mm -hmm. action scenes which a lot of the fight scenes were in dark corridors which mm -hmm. makes it difficult the other problem that i saw in cinematography was especially in the space scenes well, a lot of the movie was shot very intimately, and in some scenes, that's exactly what you want, and in some mm -hmm. scenes, it completely worked. But a lot of the scenes, especially in space, felt claustrophobic, mm -hmm. which is not how you want space to feel. Now, if you look at a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy, space feels vast, mm -hmm. feels massive. It doesn't in Captain Marvel. In fact, one of the best examples I would say comparing Guardians of the Galaxy with Captain Marvel is was Ronin the Accuser's ships. Now, you see that ship in Guardians of the Galaxy. And you feel the weight and the massiveness of this this gigantic hulking ship. You can feel the, the mass of it. I mean, it feels like it's a big ship. Captain Marvel, it feels like a little skinny one. You have no real... You don't really feel the weight of the ship. And it, I think a lot of it has to do with the way that they set the perspective. Mm -hmm. Because you're trying to catch Captain Marvel and the ship in a two-spot. And in space, you really have no way of telling... What's closer than the other? These ships look really small. Mm -hmm. And I think, honestly, that was a matter of cinematography. Could have been framed a little bit better. And there were other things. See, I didn't really notice the 3D when it came to the fight scenes and when it came to space. I noticed the 3D when it comes to all the the computer, uh, like when the, the lights and the... Uh, and the holograms right. and things, that's when I really see it. Maybe your mind just gets used to it and I block it out. Right. And then, you know, like dust flying in your face uh, right. when a ship crashes. Those are the times when I notice the 3D. Yeah. What, so, what, when I mean, all the scenes, like I said, were shot rather in intimately. They were shot in a lot of two shots. And when you're dealing with people talking to people, especially when you have, you know, that's when you want to do that. But... You know, if you shoot that way when you're wanting something more expansive, I think that's where it uh, falters. There were some plot points also that I feel like could have been developed or they could have cut out. The whole thing with the blood transfusion, I'm still kind of wondering why they even did that in the first place. I mean, I understand why, if you're writing the screenplay, why you might want to add that to the plot. Mm -hmm. But it's got to make sense to the plot. And the whole thing with the inhibitor that Captain Marvel just seems to ignore... Until she takes it off at the end and gets her full powers. Mm -hmm. It's never talked about at all. Mm -hmm. And again... It's kind of hinted. It's kind of hinted. That she's, but, that she's led to believe that that's what gave her her power. Is yeah. that, that little piece of, you know, on her neck. You know, if yeah. we didn't give you this, we can take it away. Tricking someone into, uh, into something. Yeah. It's like, this is what's giving you your power. Yeah. 
I guess the question would be, why doesn't everybody have them if I can have one? Because she's the only one who could shoot proton. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. that's the, th- the again, that's that's the mm-hmm. thing about it. You know, she's not supposed to be really necessarily any special, any more special than any other Kree. Mm-hmm. But but they're tricking her and saying right. that you know that she doesn't know it's an inhibitor. She thinks it's a, an implant that gave her proton blasts. Yeah. So and only well, it, special Kree get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm not. I've only seen it the one time. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. That wasn't the impression that I got watching it, but you know maybe mm-hmm. I mi- missed something. I mean, I definitely if I and obviously this is not going to be the only way to do this, but if I had been writing on this screenplay, I would have had maybe one mention of this inhibitor. Have Nick Fury uh, notice it and say, "What's that?" He said, "Well, this is an inhibitor. If I didn't have this, I would my powers would run out of control." Mm-hmm. And just mention that. And the reason I would do that is because when she takes it off, mm-hmm. she's basically, in a real sense, that becomes a metaphor with people were telling me I was too powerful for my own good. No, I can control it. This okay. is mine. See, yeah, I, I saw it as something completely different that she didn't know it was. And you might be right about Inhibiting that. her powers. You know, and that might be what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And I just missed it. I, that, okay. that's abso- I, I absolutely accept that that might be the situation. Mm-hmm. See, be- I think it was when they were doing the fighting, when she wakes him up and says, do you want to go fight? And she says, why did you give me these if I can't use them? And then it shows the lights on the back of her neck. That's what made me think that that's how they gave her the powers. And then later realizing it, oh, no, that's not what happened. So that's what I saw. Yeah, that's certainly a valid interpretation of what she might have thought the inhibitor was. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really play too much into the plot until the point where, uh, until she takes it off. Mm -hmm. I would I would have liked to have seen that moment have a little more significance to it, but again, but kind of going back to it, uh, I think that as far as the reviews for this go, there's a lot of hyperbole on both sides, and I think that the movie is not as good as a lot of reviews say that it is, and it's, but it's certainly not as bad as a lot of reviews say it is. But I really enjoyed this film. Again, it's not a perfect film. There are definitely some things that I, I could see that it improved on, but Always the first series of any superhero movie in the Marvel Universe is going to be a little bit shaky because they've got to build. And this movie didn't just have to build Captain Marvel, but had to get her ready for uh, Endgame. Mm-hmm. And this is something else. I'll end with I'll end with this. But this is definitely something else. For everybody who said that Brie Larson wasn't suited for this role, that she's just not a good fit, that, you know, she's just, she makes, you know, that you question her. That anybody who questioned her acting choices and all that, well, you're about to see her again in another movie with different directors and a different screenwriter. What? Hold off on these opinions until you see her in that movie, and then then maybe make a decision. If you still don't like her, okay, that's acceptable. But under another director with another screenwriter, let's let's just see how different it is. That's what I would say. Uh, anything you want to add to that before we go? Um, no, uh, just that I'm really excited that we know that with the post-credit scenes, we know that she has been gone for almost 20 years now. Yeah. 25. What, 1995? You know, almost, well, yeah, almost 25 years now. And had she spent this whole time taking the scroll out and getting them someplace safe, did half the scroll, did she watch them get dusted when... Thanos snapped. And so you, how has she changed in the last right. 20 years? I'm excited to to meet that new Carol. Yeah. Well, one other thing, too, and we'll just point this out because Kevin Feige in an interview, somebody had asked him, why did Nick Fury wait so long to use the pager? With everything that's happened on Earth, the invasion, Ultron and all this, why, after all this time and everything that's happened, uh, why did he not ever use that pager? And he, the way he answered this, I thought was really interesting. He said, who said Nick Fury's never used it? Hmm. Well, just leave it there. Okay. So let's end the show. Let's talk a little bit of Walking Dead that we saw last week. Now, Mm -hmm. you've got everything caught up. We won't talk a whole lot about the uh, the week prior, except, man, Alpha is really kind of messed up, isn't she? Yeah, but you know what? When she told that story, where my mind went, Brian, was Bird Box. Okay, not the movie, but this didn't make the cut in the movie, but it was in the book mm-hmm. where one of the kids learned how to take the cage off of their bed and Mallory slaps him really hard in the face. And that's where my mind went. Right. Now, however, <laughs> Alpha, this was before the apocalypse and Mallory was in the midst of the apocalypse. So she's still 
a completely horrible, evil character. Well, so. w- the horrible thing about it is when Lydia, baby Lydia, gets wrapped up in the plastic, <laughs> she just watches her. Mm-hmm. He just kind of watches her, curious what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and then at the last minute pulls the plastic off. Hey, are you all right? And then slaps her. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, again before the apocalypse. But I mean, you definitely get that feeling that Alpha is not to be messed with. I mean, garroted this woman's head clean off. Yep. Mm-hmm. And wow. Yep. But yeah, I mean, we get this great rescue, and of course, it leads right into Choke Point, which was last week's episode. Mm-hmm. And I am really enjoying Daryl's uh, new friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to remember what her character's name is. Right. Like my, yeah, yeah she's the, so... the deaf girl. Yeah. But I think they're a great matchup. And the reason being is that because Daryl is not used to communicating to a lot of people, and being with her forces him to. Mm-hmm. And she points it out. He's like, you've got to look at me when you're talking or I can't understand you. Right. And he has to be more clear and he has to communicate more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was just like a lot of great things in that episode. I mean, the fact that she had this whole setup and she had stuff stored. Of course, you know, she's leading. Uh, Daryl says, no, we need to go this way. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, go this way. Because she knows about, right. not only does she know about the building and, and she knows she's got supplies stashed. Yeah, well, their whole group from the very first, you know, and we get to see them fight and how good they are. And if we had been following them from the very beginning, we would love them just as much. Yeah. You know, and all the heartbreak when the Stradivarius... Right. Violin gets gets broken, and you know we we hurt we hurt with them, and so they are such they're good fighters, they're great people, and all of them right are working so hard. Well, there's this great scene, and you almost don't catch it, and I mean it's possible not to catch it, but there's that that moment when again the de- and I wish I I'm going to look up her name, but mm-hmm. the but the deaf woman she's got her back turned to a whisperer who's sneaking up behind her, throws the knife, and because the whisperer steps in the path of of a sunbeam. She notices that, and that's why she ducks. Mm-hmm. Even though she's deaf, she's so aware of her, her, mm-hmm. her stuff. And we finally get the fight between Beta and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this, they knock him down an elevator shaft. And uh, then spit on him. <laughs> and yet he's still living. Yeah. Yeah, so Beta is he's, not out of the... He's, dude, he's, he's the Rick Grimes, man. Rick Grimes has been impaled, shot multiple times, stabbed, Rick blown Grimes, up, and still living. Rick Grimes, <laughs> hell, he's Michael Myers at this point. So, now, yeah, Beta is definitely their, their Rick Grimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the other thing we definitely have to talk about is how obvious that I don't know a damn thing about this show. Because we talked about last week about how, you know... <laughs> it was the, the Whisperers' whisp- territory. Yes. They marked it, and yeah. Nope, it had nothing to do with the Whisperers whatsoever. No, like once again... brand new, yes. yes uh, we have brand new people. Uh, mm-hmm. And once again, I'm completely wrong. That's why we sh- really should have Mandy talk more about The Walking Dead, because she <laughs> knows what's going on, where I obviously have no clue whatsoever. <laughs> but, yeah, we have the Highwaymen. I love them. And I, yeah, I, I, I do. I'm so excited about them. They are funny. They are, but man, they, they take care of business. They do. And just that moment. And when Carol is all smiles, because you know, Car- when shit needs burn, Carol burns shit. But when she smiles, she can bring down the world. And she says, do you want to see a movie? And it's like, what? You know, and they ha- and you know, like tears in your eyes and she's, yeah. and she's all smiles. She absolutely is the queen. And oh, she yeah. may have, you know, really not wanted that title, but she knows Oh yeah, she's definitely the queen. She knows people. And the thing about it too, what's great about that scene is it's of course the whole mission for the light bulb was one she didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. She thought it was too dangerous. She thought it's not worth it. And then you wind up in the situation where she's like, hey, you know, when was the last time any of you guys saw a movie? And the Ezekiel looks at her like, why are you bringing this up? And they're mm-hmm. like, movie? You're serious? Yeah. And then suddenly they have these new allies. Mm-hmm. And it's luxury. A movie is absolute luxury. Yeah. And, and But she knew exactly. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. What makes Carol a badass is not that she, like, like you say, things need to get burned. She'll burn them. Mm-hmm. But she knew, uh, she was the one who was saying, hey, let's talk to him first. When nobody else was down to do that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And they became not only powerful allies, but great characters. <laughs> and, of course, looking at what's coming up, I can see why they brought them in. Um, mm-hmm. That's a discussion for yep. another day. It reminded me much of the one of the earliest episodes of Lost. Yeah. When 
Jack the doctor, he's been trying to get everyone fed and get everyone, you know, in shelter and get everyone water. And Hurley builds a golf course. And he says, I've been trying to keep everyone safe. And he builds a golf course and now people feel safe. And so Carol says, watch a movie and people feel safe and they want it and getting back what they lost. Yeah, but... uh how safe they actually are, I guess we're going to find out. Of course, uh, of course next week, this next uh, Sunday episode. Yeah, it looks like we're getting a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, we're going to find, we may be finding out. Uh, it seems to me like the episode is going to discuss where, where Michonne and, but we're going to probably see where those scars came from. Right. And finally. we're finally getting a scene that I've been waiting for ever since the beginning of the series this season, which is Daryl and Little Ass Kicker. Yeah. You know, sitting there talking and, you know, just thinking back. He was the first person to feed her. And yeah, I can't wait for that. Well, you know, it seems to me that, you know, mentioning Judith, of course, we had that scene before where where Michonne is talking to Judith about why she was talking to Negan. <laughs> and he's like, you don't understand. He's a monster. And Judith was like, well, so are you. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it wasn't a, a we're going to find out how she became that monster mm-hmm. in Judith's eyes. But the whole thing between Daryl and uh, Michonne, it seems like this next episode is going to discuss where those scars came from and the terrible things they had to do to save mm-hmm. Alexandria. And we, but then again, I might be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. What mm-hmm. the hell do I know? And we're going to get to see when Michonne was pregnant. So um, I'm hoping to see some kind of joy because I know something awful is getting ready to happen. So getting to see joy and something happy, I'm excited about that. Well, it's <laughs> definitely, I mean, it seems to me like it's a, I wouldn't say it's a fluff piece, but it's definitely a nice buffer because mm-hmm. of what's coming up. We've got two episodes of Misery coming up after this <laughs> one. And so... It's a an aperitif, shall we say, an appetizer. <laughs> uh, it will give us some background on some stuff that's been going on. But we do need a break from the whispers because we're going to be up to the, our freaking necks with the whispers here very soon. Mm-hmm. And certainly we'll have that to look forward to. But, of course, after next week's episode, we'll certainly uh, talk about it on the podcast. And so with that said, we come to the end of another episode of the Geek Watch podcast. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch podcast is a Hanging J production.